0: Welcome everyone to Freaking Big Blue. I'm Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants Reporter. And we're heading into week five of the season. And who would have thought the wheels are falling off? This is going to be the therapy session episode. Because, man, is there a lot to talk about with the New York Giants. That is not going right in year two for Brian Dayball. His team not only is losing games, they're non-competitive in games. They lost to the Seahawks 24-3, and I know they could have made it a game in the fourth quarter. I mean, late in the third quarter, actually. Like, basically heading into the fourth quarter if Daniel Jones didn't throw that interception. But guess what? Daniel Jones threw that interception! Dable's up on the sideline. He's in his face. You know, he's yelling at him. He, you know, flips the uh, iPad away. You know, there's just... Evan Neal now is calling out fans, telling them to boo him? Let me tell you this. You're a young player in the league. You haven't played well. This is advice to Evan Neal. Don't go after the fans, because when you tell them to boo you, guess what they're going to do more and more of? The second things go wrong. Boo you! It's not going to end well for you. Calling them sheep, right? You never go after the fans. It's a terrible, terrible approach. And then he's taking shots at people... Know, flipping burgers and cooking hot dogs and saying look I'm base I'm paraphrasing here in NJ advanced media story that you know I'm playing in the NFL what do, what do you all doing all the people that are booing me they don't know football and look I have a better life than them yikes man yikes I don't know who's giving you advice but it's bad bad advice now the two biggest problems for this team right now are the quarterbacks not playing particularly well well the offense is a mess. So let's, we'll start there. Well, let's just put it on that. A mess. I mean, they've not scored in their two home games. 64-2-3. They've not scored a touchdown in their two home games. The defense played better, by the way, on Monday night against the Seahawks. I know where you could sit there and say their tackling's still bad. It was awful on that one play uh, where Noah Fant went 51 yards, gets tackled at the one end of the half. Drew Locke is the quarterback, by the way, there. But The defense as a whole let up less than 300 yards. They essentially only let up 10 points because 14 of the points scored go on Daniel Jones, right? He fumbled, you know, inside the the red zone, inside the 20. And then he throws an interception to pick six at the end of the third quarter for another another touchdown. So, overall, I think the defense played a better game. Kayvon Thibodeau played a good game. You could see it from the second play. I saw him basically track back on a play, and you saw him flying. And he didn't make the tackle. But I could tell by the way he was running, that's the Kayvon Thibodeau the Giants need. Very next play, third play of the game, sack. Gets another sack. Had a, just had a strong game as Ezo Jalar giving them stuff off the edge, but that's all. That's all footnote because the team right now, there's two major problems. One is the quarterback is not playing at a particularly high level. He's not. He has more interceptions already. Granted, not all his fault. Saquon Barkley clanked off his hands, right? But the quarterback is not playing. At the level they need him to play at, and the offensive line is a mess, a mess. Andrew Thomas re—I shouldn't say re-injured—he aggravated his hamstring next week. Now he's getting better, but it's still unlikely that he's going to play now this week. Brian Dable said on Wednesday, you know, it's not looking good for him this week. So basically, Andrew Thomas is not going to play now again this week. It's going to be his third straight game out, third, fourth, fourth straight game out, and. We'll see. I heard he's getting better, but I think it's probably gonna be advisable to miss another game, maybe two. But I would say Buffalo is more realistic at this point. Saquon Bio Barkley. Saquon Barkley. I don't know what I just said there. Uh he's making progress. He took team reps this week. So as of, that was a Wednesday afternoon. So as of Wednesday night as I'm taping this, I feel good about the potential for him returning. But still, offensive line, like what's he gonna be able to do? The Giants allowed eleven sacks in an NFL game. Yes, some were the quarterback's fault. Daniel Jones said he should have got rid of the ball quick. You know, he's got to make plays some other times. But, man, he's under constant pressure. It's making it to the point that they're unable to run consistent offense. Like, seriously. And what's the line going to be this week? Left to right. Josh Azudu, who you know, couldn't win the right guard job in training camp. They wanted to give it to him. Trust me, they wanted to give it to him. He couldn't win it. So he ends up starting at left tackle instead because Andrew Thomas goes down? Not ideal. He got torched in the Monday night game against Seattle. Really rough game. Took it hard, too. was sitting in the locker room after, just like demoralized. So he's in a tough spot. He's going to be the left tackle probably again. Mark Lewinsky is likely to be at left guard in my estimation. With Ben Bredesen at center. He's better at guard than he is at center. Marcus McKeaton at right guard if he's healthy enough. And then Evan Neal at right tackle, again, if he's healthy enough. Because John Michael Schmitz is now out. He's probably out a few weeks. And the line is just in shambles. Absolutely. I mean, I can make the argument this is the worst state without Andrew Thomas uh, right now that the line's been in in my 10 years, more than 10 years, covering the team as year 11, season 11. And I've seen some damn horrible offensive lines. And now Evan Neal is popping off. Jeez, man. Brian Dable does not have things in order right now. It just went south really quick. I'm Brian Dable and company here in year two. No, I'm not saying he's a bad coach and they should fire him. Absolutely not. And honestly, I don't think you should should fire coach after year two, after he had a bad first year. I've been saying that forever under McAdoo and things McAdoo totally basically lost control. And I still think he should have got an opportunity to turn it around. So let's get rid of that thought for a second. Also the idea to dump Daniel Jones at this point, come on, let's relax. Played really well last season. It's been a bad four games, but let's play this out a little bit. Let's see it play out before. In any way, shape, or form, you're you're looking to dump a quarterback because they don't have anybody there, right? You don't you don't have anyone there. So, I mean, yeah, you have Tyrod Taylor, but that's not a long term solution. Now, if we get to the point where we're at the uh, where we're sitting there, and we're in the draft, and the Giants are picking top five, totally different conversation. But we're not there. Let's see how this season plays out. They're one in three right now. Games against Miami and Buffalo. Hard for me to imagine those going well. You know what? This kind of reminds me. We're right now in the mode. This is like 2017 all over again, in a way. Right? The Giants make the playoffs. McAdoo's first year in 16. They actually went 11 and five, which, if you you know anything about math, is better than nine six and one, which the Giants went last year. So they were a better team under McAdoo. Better team. And in year two, everything went off the rails couple players suspended, whole Eli benching for Geno Smith debacle, which, in retrospect, Geno Smith's pretty darn good. So everybody out there was like, how do you bench him for Geno Smith? And I know there's a lot of other factors into it because, of, you know, Eli Manning was Eli Manning, the consecutive games, what he did for the organization. But the idea that everybody dumped on Geno Smith like he's some scrub, guess what? He's not some scrub. He just beat the Giants again for the second time in two years. Granted, it wasn't a huge, largely because of him, but, and then that next year, everything falls apart. Now, this year, you have Brian Dable, first year, makes the playoffs, wins a playoff game. This year now, one and three, staring one and five right in the face. Will it fall apart on him? That's the question. And also, I don't think, I think John Maris said this, so Brian Dable barring something absolutely wild happening, which always is possible. You never know how south it goes, how much things go awry. You lose control. Uh, the whole Josh Brown thing, you know, that was on McAdoo's watch as well. That created a different, different wave. But John Marrot has said after that, his one of his regrets is not giving McAdoo more time, right? And pulling the plug so quickly. So they're going to be more patient now. Now, he said this after a couple more times, after going through Shermer, after going through Judge. You know, two years, two years, two years at a time. Everybody, so you never know with this organization. But you know, Brian Dable had a good first year. It buys him some, some currency. You know, some staying power. Now they have to turn this around a little bit. They, they just, they can't keep going in this direction. But you thought, okay, Dallas, better team than them, played an F game. Got it. San Francisco, they hung around, but San Francisco is too good for them. But to be dominated like they did against Seattle, which by the way, I think Seattle's a good team, but to show nothing, literally nothing positive offensively, that's a bad sign for this Giants team. Like, where are they going to get wins? If they don't get something going against Miami, because Miami's offense is really good. Their defense leaves something to be desired. It's not great, but we said the same about Seattle. But man, just so many things. Punt return, like Talk about things going wrong on table's watch that you got to put on him. Eric Gray, we saw this from the first day he's back there returning. And if you listen to this podcast, you, you you got this. I'm sure you understood that this was the case. There were serious question marks about him catching punts. So for him, the fumble one was not – first of all, I'm not blaming it on him, okay? Because he's not a natural returner. He shouldn't be returning to the NFL. He lost the return job in college for this reason. So for him to be back there in the NFL – it was only a matter of time before Eric Gray dropped the punt. As for the other sixth, and I, yeah, that's not a miss, I'm not misspeaking, sixth special teams penalties? Dude, Thomas he has got to get this together. That's crazy. The special teams have been going in the wrong direction now for the last two and a half, two years. Like there was a time when I would come on here and I would defend Thomas McGahee saying he had good units. You know, his special team units have been good, but it's been several years now and the Giants right now are bad on special teams. He's got to get them going in the right direction. They're a liability right now. And usually I don't even want to waste my time here. We're talking big picture stuff. But when it's literally affecting games and contributing significantly to the outcome of games, it's impossible to ignore. It is. One last thing. This one goes on Brian Dable's watch as well. So the Giants have, I believe it was a third and 11 in the first half, late in the first half. And they call a draw, basically just punt. Things were going really poorly. So at the time, I didn't even think it was that weird because, to be quite honest with you, they were getting sacked every play. It wasn't the... To to throw the ball on third and 11 there, nothing good was going to happen. So I'm like, yeah, they just decided we don't want any more damage. We just... We can't... We can't just... Something bad is going to happen. Let's just get out of here with the score. What it is. Were they down uh, 14-3? Something something like that in the first half. So at that point, you're like, okay. Then it... They admit after the game, Dable does, that there was a miscommunication with Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones says it's his fault. He misheard them. He called the wrong play. Who knows? they are never going to admit what's going on. But it does have me questioning. What's the communication process at this point? Because I've come to the conclusion that Brian Dable is not calling plays because I've zoomed in on him on the sideline throughout, you know, the first half of each of the last two games for extended periods of time. And there's times where the play call is obviously coming into Daniel Jones at the beginning of, you know, when the, the play clock starts going after the previous play, where Brian Dable doesn't have the sheet over his mouth and he's not relaying a play to the directly to the quarterback. But he's obviously at times relaying stuff to Mike Kafka. My question is, is there too much going on there right now in the process? Is that why it can be get so distorted that Daniel Jones is calling a draw when you're calling a running play? I don't even understand how you get from one from point A to point B there. But my only thought is that there's too many cooks in the kitchen right now. That Brian Dable's not calling the plays per se and relaying them to Daniel Jones. But he's sitting there, he's trying to relay something to Kafka, who's then trying to relay something quickly to Daniel Jones. You only get a certain amount of time, mind you, till the how the the communication in the helmet goes off. And that's how things can go so poorly. That's what comes to my mind. That's my line of thinking. Regardless, something needs to be fixed because, boy, the Giants are a mess. So what I'm going to do here, I took a bunch of your questions. I'm going to play therapist because Giants fans, they're losing it. And me, personally, guess what? I'm an expert on crappy football. I'm an expert on dissecting and watching crappy football because that's what it's been like for the most part since 2013. With that being said, On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Must be 21 plus plus present president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, all right. I calm down. I took my cool down period like Brian Dable does before he goes and does his post-game press conference. And I am now cool, calm, and collective and here to help. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve as your therapist. Right? And I'm going to answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants after dark. You need the help because, boy, when I ask for questions and some of these questions I received, people are ready to get rid of everybody. And I mean, scrap it and start over. So we start with three. Well, we've got ten questions, three on Instagram, seven on Twitter. Start with John M. Hey, Jordan, what's the vibe around the team right now? Obviously, the fan base is in disarray, but you've been around mostly bad teams. Does this team still believe or are they done? I do think they still believe, John. I don't think this is a fractured team. I don't think it's ready to completely crumble yet. But the competition is really strong. And it's going to make it tough. Now, I do think the reason I think they're able to be optimistic and believe it this time is because last year they actually did have success. So I do think there's a chance that they get it back together. They play better. I kind of expect them to play better uh, and not just completely crumble. But at the same time, you have to remember, there are a lot of the same players. And when things go poorly with Daniel Jones, for the most part in his career, he hasn't been able to sort of keep it afloat. When things go badly, he kind of, you know, that's when that pocket presence seems to disappear. So I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, Question number two, Nick Rose from Instagram asks, Hey, Jordan, what do you think explains Jones hanging onto the ball for longer this season? Man, Uh, Nick, first of all, I think, You know, the blueprint's out, so other teams have a better feel on what they're doing. If they take away that first read, it makes it a lot harder. And then, I know people are like, he never gets to a second read. He doesn't look off guys. Yeah, that's because he doesn't have time. So, he doesn't have time, and therefore now he's running. Like, if I go and look at this very often, and I looked at it the other day, time to throw is a, a, you know, next-gen stat that they keep. And the time to throw for quarterbacks is highest for quarterbacks who are running the most. Right and scrambling and moving out. like Patrick Mahomes' time to throw is an extremely low. Russell, time, Russell Wilson's time to throw has always been long. So guys like Daniel Jones, who's moving around a lot, especially because his offensive line does not permit him to sit in the pocket, his time to throw is going to be longer. So I think last year they were able to scheme up things that was new on people, and so those first real quick reads were there. This year they're covered, and then Daniel Jones hasn't had the time to really go to the next read and throw it. Next thing you know, he's under ridiculous pressure because I think the offensive line might be the worst I've seen it. Ralph Aurora, question number three, says, Jordan, love the pod for Giants after dark. Not sure if this is because I have PTSD from being a fan my whole life, especially the last 10 years. I'm not suggesting ownership tear it down, but I imagine ownership is not happy. How long of a leash do you believe this regime has to get this team built for sustained success? Uh, Ralph, this is kind of what I was addressing before. I think they have a longer leash than most because they've had some success. They've shown they can be successful. These are guys that have significant capital built up from their time working around the league. And we also know, like, this team, when they inherited wasn't good. They're almost in a way a victim of their success last year. Because think about it. They weren't supposed to win nine games last year. They didn't have nine-win talent. I've been saying this for a while. They had lesser talent. So now they improved the talent a little bit. The two biggest concerns, which I said coming into the season, one depth and two offensive line, have proven to be even bigger concerns than any of us could have thought. And has them in their offense in total unable to function mode. So is it on them to fix it? Yeah, absolutely. But something crazy would have to happen for them to get rid of him now. They certainly have time next year to get things together, in my opinion, uh, and probably a longer leash than the previous regimes. Question number four, Greg Carbino, also from Instagram. So many issues, don't know where to start. Big picture, though. Team's not coached well this season. Penalties, missed tackles horrible communications, more injuries to key players despite the country club offseason, et cetera. What gives, how do we go from coach of the year to this? I'll say this, Greg, the ultimate deodorant, right? The ultimate deodorant in this game, in this league, is winning. Because there were cracks last year, if you think about it. Brian Dable getting in Daniel Jones's face on the sideline, going ballistic on Jack Anderson jack anderson and just eviscerating the guy you know in a way that i i don't think is a good look for the team or the franchise if you're losing how does that then get portrayed right now they're now they're losing how does it get portrayed think about the difference they and there were some other things there were some questionable decisions he made brian dable they had two touchdowns i believe they gave up where they had 10 men on the field on defense. These little things, remember uh Jamie Gillen just lost the ball. They gave a, they basically gave away a touchdown on special teams. These little things were able to slip by because they were winning. Now you're losing, everything gets amplified. So yes, do I think it's worse? Yeah, things have kind of snowballed on them here. But there was a little sign of some of these things last year. Uh let's go giants, big blue R. King crew on Twitter says, bottom line, do you think players are the biggest problem so far or the coaches? I'm thinking the coaches. I just can't see players making the same mistakes game after game after game on their own. just seems that it has to be coaching. And that's the, and that's just his opinion. That's just one of those things where it's easy, my opinion, to blame it on the coaches. right? And I'm not saying the coaches are doing a good job. We're trying to pick who's more at blame here. Obviously, everyone's at blame when they're playing as poorly as they are. But I think it ultimately comes down to they couldn't afford injuries at certain positions at certain spots, and you start with Andrew Thomas, you start with Saquon Barkley on the offensive side, and they just don't have the depth to in any way, shape, or form, you know, disguise those deficiencies anymore, right? Now they just have even more glaring deficiencies. So to me, it's probably more on the players Not that I think the coaches have done a good job. Obviously, they haven't. They're getting blown out in the NFL. But if I had to pick one of the two, I think it's more talent on the roster and who's available than anything else. And on top of that, they're playing poorly. So obviously, a lot of that then falls on Joe Shane, the general manager, as well. Uh, The former King of Queen, G-Men, says, Please explain how multiple GMs, head coaches, OL coaches, and scouts can be unable to assemble a competent line over a 10-year period, also unable to execute a simple running back screen for 15 years. Yeah. The line has been a disaster, and the, the screen, that's all part of the line. We didn't even notice, by the way, it was back in, like, 2014, 15. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, John Jerry, everyone was complaining about the line and it wasn't great then, but thats we didn't realize how the good they had. We had it back then. But it's really been mostly just you're, if you're missing on premium picks, on the offense, like they needed Evan Neal to at least be competent this year. And he hasn't been. So, on top of them having bad guards, now they have a, a complete liability at right tackle. And if Andrew Thomas gets hurt. They have a liability at left tackle. That's how you end up with a disaster. Now, I will say this. So, multiple GMs now, talking Dave Gettleman, talking Jerry Reese, talking uh, Joe Shane, all of them have turned down to hire an offensive line-specific scout. Chris Snee has made it very well known that he wanted to be a, a scout that uh, evaluates offensive linemen specifically. For the last few years, he interviewed with Joe Shane. He tried to call Jerry Reese, never even got a call back. Like He interviewed with Joe Shane. He thought he was going to get that job. It didn't happen. Like It's about time this organization maybe thinks that that's a good idea, after they keep whiffing on offensive line evaluations. So just a suggestion. Maybe call Chris At Gmen 2781 asks, you have to hold accountable why Gray is the returner over any of the wide receiver. It makes absolutely no sense. How does a GM equip a team without an offensive player for 8 to 10 plays every game? That's 170 plays. You're basically saying we give up. I agree. I think it was this was a massive miscalculation by Joe Shane. And Brian Dable, you saw this coming. I said it before from a million miles away. But now that they're in the situation they have, so Eric, Eric Gray muffs the punt. By the way, Eric Gray's going to be back as a returner this week. He muffs the punt. They pull him immediately. You saw this coming. We all saw it coming. He's so uncomfortable, return, you know, catching punts every day. Okay, then you go to Dory Jackson, who, by the way, isn't one of the guys that's back there every day at practice, catching punts. and. Got injured last year, you can't afford to lose him either because that's another position where you're extremely thin. Sterling Shepard can catch punts. I'm not sure he's going to give you a lot of explosiveness returning them, but heck, all we're trying to do at this point is catch punts. So yeah, the Giants, I've been saying it for years. They've been leaving the special team coach hanging. Now there's more problems on special teams than just that. But how's he supposed to have success as a returner when they haven't had a real successful returner here since Dwayne Harris? Dwayne Harris, 2017. Last time, they've had a real returner. It's been a problem. Next question, question number eight. Dave at the G Mets says, has there been been any discussion of moving Neal to right guard when Thomas is able to return to the lineup? Is that more of an offseason move? Or does the desperation of the moment perhaps warrant it in the coming weeks? Well, Dave, here's the problem with that. They don't have this depth of tackle where they can pull it off. So I think, yes, it's something they're going to discuss. And as I mentioned recently, I you know I've had people around the league tell me even from the start that they thought he was more of a guard that he was a guard in the NFL, not a tackle. But they don't have a replacement at right tackle. They're going to have to stick this through for the season, I believe, uh, because I mean, what are their other choices? We can put Josh Azudu at right tackle now. I mean, he's played guard mostly the whole off season. Now he's had been thrown out to left tackle. He hasn't been great there either. I mean, he's held up. You know, below average but you really don't want him to play tackle, you kind of have to ride the Evan Neal experiment out one more year. Deontay Dante Adams 01 says, this is question number 9 Will we consider a full-blown rebuild after this season? I want to say pretty definitively the answer to that is no. Will they reshape the roster maybe considerably? Yes but I would not see them, first of all, they can't get rid of Daniel Jones Right, they have their key pieces. Some of them on defense, you know the 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 uh, Bobby Okereke, Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau, Zizo Jellardi. They're not blowing out the coaching staff, barring something crazy happening. I don't see it being a full rebuild. They have some players, players that are good enough at least that they made the playoffs last year around them. Now, do they need more premium players? Absolutely. Will they potentially need a new quarterback? Potentially. Now, I'm not going there yet at this point. I know some of you are. Like I still think Daniel Jones could be a good quarterback in this thing. As a quarterback, I think you want to build your team around to win a Super Bowl. I wouldn't go that direction, but the Giants have already put their chips in the pot for that, uh, at least for the time being this year, next year. I believe it's twenty two million afterwards. Question number nine. At what point do we start? This is uh septic FPS. At what point do we consider start benching, considering benching Jones, maybe not as a permanent decision, but like, hey, take a break, you need it type thing. I mean, what are we doing here? He just signed a new contract. He's coming off a really good year. They're not benching Daniel Jones at this point, okay? That's not happening. These are the kind of questions. I mean, by the way, this is the tame version of some of the questions I received. Last and final question, question number 10, Jordan, as great a job as David did last year, masking deficiencies, stealing games, this year has been a train wreck. Do you think Shane and Dabbs try to accelerate the re- Did Do you think Shane and Dabbs tried to accelerate the rebuild? Line in issue for sure, but DJ turnovers are turning their ugly heads again. I think it's showing their ugly heads again, rearing their ugly heads. It's a mess. I get it, but I don't think they did try and accelerate the rebuild. Like, yes, they traded for Darren Waller. They signed Bobby Okereke, but they didn't go out there and just blow up the free agent market, Uh, trade first-round picks, right? They thought they would be better as a team, but actually I thought they showed restraint at times. They didn't go get the DeAndre Hopkins, that number one receiver, wide receiver that everybody wanted. That just wasn't right for what they're trying to build here. To me, this is year two of the rebuild for the Giants, right? Next year is the year I thought that they could really compete. Now, they're a mess right now. They have to fix a lot of things, and they're going to have to make some big decisions. you got guys like Leonard Williams, a. Xavier McKinney, Saquon Barkley, right, this offseason. So they did not put themselves in a position where, if, look, if they were going all-in, they would assign Saquon Barkley at all costs. And they drew a line in the sand, and they said, no, we're not doing that. We don't think, like, we'll deal with Saquon's out. If he doesn't show up for training camp, all this, we'll deal with that. I don't think they viewed themselves as real Super Bowl contenders in the first place, like honestly, internally, like when they looked at their roster. Like, well, we're building here. We think we could take steps forward, but I never thought that they were saying, well, all right, we're going all in right now. I do not think that was the approach. That's the one thing, actually, I commend Joe Shane the most for doing so far as he's been really realistic with what this team is. So with that, I hope I appease you a little bit. I calmed your souls as I play therapist here on Giants After Dark. On to the next one had some fun there with that segment not sure if i'm meant to be a therapist long term i mean i think i might be in the right profession that that might not be for me i might not have the even keel mellowness on a consistent basis necessary for that kind of job but i tried my best i did we're going to wrap up here with a little quick Jordan on the beat. This is where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants work for ESPN or cover the NFL in general. I'm going to take you to the post-game press conference. And Brian Dable, right? So Brian Dable comes into the post-game press conference. Answer questions from reporters. He takes longer than most coaches. We've seen him on the sideline. He's a raving lunatic on the sideline. You know, he goes, Ballistic. At least two or three times a game. I mean, yelling, screaming, all over the place. Clearly, he's not the calmest individual. And we kind of knew that before he was hired. That was kind of the uh, the book on him. But then he takes, like, the long cool-down period, they call it. There's supposed to be, like, a 10- or 15-minute cool-down period. It's, like, a good half hour before he comes in there. He comes in there, and he's super calm, copacetic, you know, to the point where it's almost odd. And it's actually kind of weird because you know, it's not real. A guy who's going nuts on the sideline is not going to come in and be that calm about another awful loss, right? So they're getting blown out. They're getting their doors blown off every week, it seems. At home, 64 to three, two games. I mean, come on. This is the NFL. That's not supposed to, ha- not supposed to happen in the NFL. 64 to three? You kidding me? So he's sitting there and he's answering the questions, super calm, trying not to, you know, give anybody anything. And I'm just sitting there saying, like, Come on, like we know this isn't true. So my question to him is, Brian, like, I mean, isn't it, though, concerning that you're losing by 40 points, by 21 points, by 18 points? And that's when the clip came. And if you go search social media, you'll see it. He's like, I know the scores, Jordan. I know the scores. But the way he said Jordan is, I know the scores, Jordan. And so they had a lot of fun with that on Ghetto. You know, like, it's your mom yelling at you. Jordan come on Jordan and as Jeff Saturday said you know poking the bear at that point which is kind of what it is but I mean if you're gonna stand up and say you know it's only the first quarter of the season it's only the fourth game you know I gotta ask you it's not concerning that you're that you're losing not just losing you're getting dominated you're getting blown out that you're you're not even competing with some of these teams and it's one thing not to compete with the Seahawks I mean, sorry, it's one thing not to compete with the Cowboys and not really compete. I mean, they did compete, but they couldn't hang in there with the 49ers. But then again, against the Seahawks, good team, playoff team last year, but not an elite team. So it is a little concerning. So that was the genesis and the story behind that clip that's out there. You might have seen it. I put it up on my Instagram account as well, but like CBS Sports put it up it's been on the radio my friends like to have a lot of fun with it i started hearing about it from my friends right away you know everyone's texting me jordan with like the exclamation point. jordan come on jordan i started to get a lot of those come on jordan texts from my friends uh at that point i knew that that was blowing up a little bit so uh all in good fun uh but you know That's why I asked that question. You're like, wait, why are you you listing off? Why are you just listing off how much you lost by? No, no. There's actually a thought process. Sometimes I do things and there is not a good thought process behind it. But this time, actually, I do. I actually think there was a decent thought process behind it. All right, Sunday at Miami. I actually, like, they're huge underdogs. They're 11-point underdogs. But if they're going to win one of the next two games, they have a better chance to win in Miami than they do on a Sunday night in Buffalo. I don't think it's going to happen. But if this team has any pride, they show up and play and at least give the Dolphins a game in this one. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. As always, hey, go and like this podcast right now. Do me a favor. If you listen this far, do me a favor. Like it. Give me a good rating. It helps. I promise. Give me a good rating. Like, subscribe. Tell your friends. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. I'm Jordan Ronan. See you next time.